Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. So, um, uh, welcome to the show today, folks. Uh, it's my pleasure. We're, uh, we're, gonna, uh, we're actually going to look at an academic work today, but it's an academic work that I think it has, it really has you know, uh, um, uh, something to say about contemporary culture uh, and, and comics uh, within that. Um, uh, it's, uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Professor A. David Lewis, uh, uh, with a PhD from Boston University, he's the uh, he is the author of American Comics: Literary Theory and Religion, the Superhero Afterlife. Uh, David, welcome to More to Come. Thanks for having me, Calvin. It's great to be here. Um, so this is a a scholarly work that looks into the literature around uh, the depiction of the afterlife. Uh, depiction of the afterlife and depiction of superheroes in the in afterlife particular, in particular, in particular yeah. superheroes. Uh, so I, we want to get into that, but you know what? Uh, you, you've got a tremendous background. I mean, uh, <laughs> you, I've been fortunate to know you for a little while. You've written the odd piece for PW as well. Uh, but really, uh, your background uh, as an academic in the comics religion, I think it's really special. Um, I know that you are also the author or the, you are one of the editors of Graven I- Images, uh, Religion mm-hmm. and Comics. Comic books and graphic novels uh, uh, from Bloomsbury Publishers in 2010. You're mm-hmm. also a a comics writer yourself, a graphic novelist. Uh, sometimes the author, they let me write yes. these things too. Yeah, The Lone and Level Sands from two, uh, 2009. Uh-huh. Um, what's this? Valentine Red Rain with uh, Daniel I Cooney. Was, I was co-editor and, and a scriptwriter on that, but that is the brainchild of Dan Cooney. Yeah. Cool. And most recently, I know, and because we've done a story about this. Uh, you are one of the editors, if I'm not mistaken, on Colonial Comics, New England, 1620 to 1750. A really interesting anthology of comics, really that explore life in the colonies. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's right. And, and Fulcrum Press is doing yes. some really amazing things with nonfiction graphic novels and comics. I was fortunate enough to be invited onto that project by Jason Rodriguez. He got, uh, allowed me to team up with J.T. Waldman to do a story about uh, the first uh, permanent settlement, settlement of mm-hmm. Jews uh, in New England, first Jewish settlement uh, in Newport, Rhode Island. And I've also helped as an assistant editor to uh, to Jason's master plan of a three-volume set. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. And actually, you can go to publishersweekly.com slash comics, and we've got a, a story actually about uh, Fulcrum launching a nonfiction graphic novel line uh, and, and with, a, with an emphasis on history and diversity. So Yeah, uh, I, I know that they put out Trickster and yes. Strange mm-hmm. Fruit, just yes. incredible titles coming from them. I couldn't be more honored to uh, to to operate my creative side with them while I'm promoting my scholarly side with uh, with you here. So, uh, well, let's jump um, uh, to the book, and a little later on, I, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the. Uh, Academic comics as an academic subject, more broadly, uh, as as a sort of a trend in publishing and in academia. people won't turn off the podcast, right? Okay, keep, <laughs> you said academic and you said scholarly, and I'm I'm worried okay, that okay, right. people will run away. We will make this interesting. I will make a case. It's his promise for to this you. to be compelling. 
Okay. But on that note, so let's. But uh, the word I think superheroes alone will will keep them glued to the okay. uh, glued to superhero, their superhero, to their, superheroes. to their podcasting device of choice. So, but let's talk more about your book, um, uh, American Comics, Literary Theory, and Religion in the Superhero Afterlife. The, I did read the introduction, and I'm very yeah. interested. You, you seem to have two main points. One, the sort of lack of visual depiction of superheroes, and I guess the classic. Um, uh, well, why don't you describe it instead of me mangling it? No, that's okay. You no, and you, you took a good stab at it. Yeah. This basically <laughs> the book has basically the book has two main theories, and and they're this, and I think they're they're understandable. First of all. I think we can look at all the times that superheroes travel into the afterlife. They go there so very often in American uh, U.S. comics uh, that it is its own subgenre. If superheroes is a genre, just like the Western or just like noir or just like romance, sure. I'm making the argument that there's a superhero afterlife subgenre and we can recognize it from six points, six um, storytelling elements that keep happening over and over and over for some reason every time we show a superhero in the afterlife uh most of if not all of six certain events take place Great. so that's the first main part of the book and that's you know a pretty much st a straightforward argument the second part of the mm. book is so what uh the <laughs> second part of the book is okay a uh, nice observation dr lewis <laughs> Uh, but what do we do with that? Well, my argument is that we could use this superhero afterlife subgenre to better understand for superhero readers, mm -hmm. for the audiences, to have a more nuanced view, a more complicated view of their own selfhood. We tend to read about characters mm -hmm. and identify with characters that are relatable. Even if they have superpowers, they can't be so alien to us, mm -hmm. so non-human uh, that their adventures don't make any sense to us. Their motivations make no sense. So you can have an alien like Superman, but in a moral conflict that you understand. You could have Aquaman, king of Atlantis. Okay, you're not a king and you're not from Atlantis, but you can understand uh, an issue or a quandary or a dilemma that he's in. Mm -hmm. So the second part of the book is if we use these six elements to understand ourselves a little better as readers of superhero comics, it can actually lead to more religious pluralism. That is greater tolerance and greater understanding between and across religious communities. I think that's very understandable and very interesting. I'm I'm curious to jump back to the first part of, of yeah. what you're talking about. I, I'm curious about, um, I mean, with the uh, obviously pop culture is constantly exploring the afterlife. But yeah. I noticed in your introduction you suggested that that actually the visual depictions actually don't show up so much in the classical literature, and mm -hmm. actually uh, pop culture has, has sort of stepped in to provide, of course, a proliferation of imagery of all kind. Is that's that right. relatively uh, accurate? That's, that's yeah. very accurate. And um, 
I mean, we do see the afterlife more and more in pop culture and in pop culture consumerism. I think I make the point at one uh, one part in the book, whereas the afterlife used to be the concern of clergy, right? Used right. to be mm-hmm. the concern of theologians. And I'm not suggesting that it isn't. They still have major and serious things to say about it. But the fact that it's on TV as often as it is. I used to watch Charmed and Supernatural sure. and... Mm-hmm. Uh, all these other shows, the fact that it's in movies as often as it is, uh, what dreams may come or uh, heaven can wait or down yeah. to earth. The reason that um, I end up, the Simpsons goes to the afterlife, family guy goes to the afterlife, all your uh, uh, television uh, animation. The reason I focused on comics besides loving comics mm. themselves and studying them is I think that other media uh, other media, uh, another medium, uh, other media don't really do a service to the afterlife. That is, they kind of have to freeze it mm-hmm. in a way. They have to make it very straightforward. It has to work in the medium, the heaven or hell or the fire or the pit or Sheol or whatever mm-hmm. you're going to call it have to be uh, useful for a set. Right. They have to actually film it. They can't they have to have actors embody souls and selves and essences, Uh, whereas uh, in comics, you can have more slippage. You can have more representationality that actually lends itself better to, as you said, uh, traditional or classic studies of afterlife depictions. Great. Well, you talk in particular um, – well, let me ask you this. Uh, mm-hmm. you, in your introduction, actually, you also define you know, what you're not talking about. I right. mean, you know, obviously in, in, um, in popular culture and certainly in comics, we've got zombies. We've got vampires. We seem to have an explosions of, of, of demonic characters right. from comic to, like, horrific. So – but you, your book isn't really necessarily about th- that stuff. That stuff is fascinating. I have a number of colleagues who work in those areas, uh, and I, I love reading about them. But I think the reason that I did not focus there, two reasons. First of all, there are so many of these pure afterlife examples, the Fantastic Four going into the afterlife, mm-hmm. the Justice League going into the afterlife, Spawn uh, going into the afterlife, that I really wanted to make this, uh, I wanted to focus the discussion. And I was still looking at 25 years of superhero mm-hmm. comics. The second reason, however, the examples that you gave of the undead or of uh, Dracula or of ghosts and so forth and vampires is that in many of these cases, in the stories that they show up in, they are the other right? Mm -hmm. They are the thing with which the reader is not supposed to relate or not connect to. Mm -hmm. Many times, not always, but Mm -hmm. many times they're the antagonists. So instead, I was trying to look at situations where we have a relatable character, whether it's the lead character or the protagonist or so forth, operating in the afterlife in place of the reader and having to reflect what the reader might expect or just accept um to what degree can we push reality okay you're willing to accept that there are mm-hmm. mutants right mm-hmm. and you're willing to accept <laughs> that um that what they're on a super team and sure. you're willing to expect that they teleported here you're willing to accept all that how much of the afterlife's more um bizarre and amazing traits are you also willing to accept before the narrative falls apart on you so 
it, it's for those reasons that I limited it uh, beyond the not alive right. to the <laughs> yes. actually dead. Yes. Uh, uh, it, and if I may just – I am curious how your work relates to, say, the work of somebody like uh, Jack Chick. Ah, well, you know, Jack Chick is a slippery case, and I, I I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with Chick publications. Yeah, describe the work, yeah. Although Chick, I think everyone knows Jack Chick's work okay, to some yeah, extent, well, but still, no, I still would prefer you to talk about it. Is you know, he and describe famous it. or infamous? Yes, well, uh, a little bit of both, I guess. Right. <laughs> um, Jack Chick is a Christian evangelical mm-hmm. publisher. Uh, he produces and and has artists and teams that he works with over the past several decades, mm-hmm. producing little rectangular comics, little sure. tracks or packets that argue for a very heavily evangelical, proselytizing pro-Christian vision of the world uh, and vision of the afterlife. So you will have uh, chick tracks that do depict an afterlife, particularly hells that um, sinners heard about for a while. Yeah, (laughs) right. Hells that sinners will uh, be condemned to. Um, Yeah, it's it's a difficult case because it goes against my sort of second thesis here, Mm -hmm. right? I don't think we can read Chick Tracks or the the Mm -hmm. Chick Publishing Company as endorsing religious pluralism, right? Right. Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) In the ideal, everyone would believe what they believe. That's their uh, ideal. Uh, With superhero comics, particularly mainstream superhero comics, uh, there is this play to the middle, right? Mm -hmm. It is an argument for all faiths being accepted, even unfaith being accepted, agnosticism Mm -hmm. or atheism or secularism. So how do you still deliver a story that coheres when you put characters in a place that may or may not be a matter of faith? For the readers, it's tricky. But again, these six elements have sort of become the signposts um, uh, for what functions as a story each time it recurs. Okay. Um, well, how do now your book? You you talk about Thor, and in particular, I'm curious about Thor. How yeah. how do these the you know actually essentially setting a series? In a version of the afterlife, how does that play into the themes in in your books? Um, well, in the case of Thor, Thor is already straddling a superhero <laughs> <Yeah>. mythological divide, <laughs> right? He's already blurring the lines yes. between what's faith based uh, or what's um, what's life super- or what's afterlife, <laughs> or what's life or what's afterlife. You know, um, Thor is a good case, and I do talk about Thor a good deal in the book. The more um, telling case mm-hmm, to me sure. more recently was when Jason Aaron, writer Jason Aaron, took over Wolverine. Mm-hmm. The last time that Wolverine died, not this time, okay. the previous time that they sent Wolverine, who is a very uh, corporeal, tangential, sure. bloody, gory superhero into a totally metaphysical space. And you'd think that that shouldn't work, right? Um, what can Wolverine claw in the afterlife? Do claws even exist in the afterlife? Uh, uh, you, you have this issue of how do you represent the afterlife, uh, whatever version it is, uh, still within the superhero genre, still within the superhero milieu. 
And I go back to the answer I, I gave before. Somehow, and it's never been handed down by the editorial directors, right? Mm-hmm. It's never been said, here are the six things you have to stick to if you're mm-hmm. going to write about Wolverine in the afterlife. If you're going to write about Aquaman in the afterlife of the Atlanteans, here are the six things you have to do. And yet there's been this sort of recursive cycle between audiences and creators and audiences are sometimes creators and creators Mm -hmm. are sometimes audiences um, that has sort of fed this way of us accepting an afterlife story. Uh, And if I just briefly recount the six off the top of my head, Mm -hmm. the characters have to access the afterlife through means of some alternate dimension, right? It can't just be someplace they walk on for it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Secondly, they have to encounter family members or someone that they regard as lost family. Uh, Thirdly, they have to liberate a character. These should be places of eternal reward or eternal punishment or eternal rest. And yet, because it's a superhero story, inevitably, somebody is always sprung uh, out of hell or sprung out of heaven. Uh, There needs to be a heroic reversal. A good guy has to act bad or a bad guy has to act good. Because you're in the afterlife and what used to be the moral concerns of mortal life start to get a little messy and sloppy. Uh, The last two elements is is that they have to encounter an Alastor, a main opponent, right? Mm -hmm. That's not so alien an idea, not so odd an idea in a superhero story, but might be a little bit weird when we're talking about heaven or Mm. paradise. Mm -hmm. They still have to encounter someone that opposes them or represents the realm that opposes them. And finally, there has to be an element of hallucination or dreaming. Now, that's not that they're dreaming or imagining the afterlife. They actually have a dream or engage in a hallucination that they break out of Mm -hmm. and wake up in the afterlife, making it all that more real. These six things keep happening over and over, and that's why you can tell a story about Wolverine in hell, and that's why you can tell a story about Promethea uh-huh. going up the Kabbalistic tree, thank you, Alan Moore. Um, <laughs> or you can talk about the, the Justice League or members of the Justice League helping out with a civil war in hell, or you can mm. talk about the Green Lantern springing Oliver Queen's soul, but not his body, or not his body, but his soul, Um, So long as they have these six markers will hang on as a reading audience. And that says something very specific to me, at least, about what this audience is willing to accept, how they understand and how they're willing to understand their favorite characters uh, doing these things. No, very interesting. Let me. I, I am curious about uh, um, two books in particular. Um, it just would yeah. be love to have you comment on. I mean, wh- where does Mike Mignola's Hellboy? Uh, how does that fit into your uh, uh, your schema? <laughs> uh, and and I'm also curious. Now, you may not be familiar, but it's a wonderful um, graphic novel came out a year or two ago uh, by Macon Blair and Joe Flood called Hell City. And from Image Comics, it's really hilariously and detailed done, but it 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 flips the scenario in that um, the afterlife is in fact a weird, reverse, bizarro version of New York City in hell called Hell it. City, and indeed it's a noir detective story where a guy basically kills himself to go to hell to find who murdered his wife. Oh, I love it. And and hell is a crazy, 
you know, world of where essentially New York, <laughs> essentially New York City, <laughs> and crowding on the subways, trying to get somewhere. You, in, in, in other words, eternal suffering is trying to get through a day in Gotham. <laughs> That's but, but in any event, uh, but these also offer these very interesting to me v- views of the afterlife. Uh, yeah, and, and we have um, actually two titles out right now. I'll, I'll get to the ones mm-hmm. you mentioned, but sure. that reminds me of two works that are out right now by uh, by Joshua Hale Falcock. Mm-hmm. Um, he's writing The Devilers, which is about a multi-religious team going into the afterlife that's sort of spilling out into oh, uh, our huh? world and he's uh, simultaneously writing another book called the life after which yeah. has a, a similar premise to the one uh that you suggested hell city you put it on my reading list I'm now gonna <laughs> yeah, have to... yeah. joe flood and make it blair really it's a terrific book i love joe flood so yeah that's... yeah he's a terrific terrific it's an easy artist. sell yeah. to me yeah <laughs> um when it comes to so there are a number of other works and we're talking comics works in general, not just the superhero Mm -hmm. genre, but if we go wider and you said one was a detective story. And I think we might want to argue that Hellboy is not a superhero story. Well, that's what I was curious about. I mean, yeah, yeah, you could view him as a superhero in a weird way, but, but, but go on. Well, here's the thing. Maybe we can view Hellboy as a superhero series, but if you're using uh, the genre theory I've used for this book, and people are welcome to bring whatever theory they want, whatever lens they want to this discussion. I'm not cornering the market in any way. But if we view Hellboy as a superhero uh, comic, it doesn't fit mm-hmm. the six elements of ah. being a superhero afterlife I see, yes. comic. And I don't mean to split hairs here by any means, because what Mignola does with Hellboy in the afterlife is fascinating. But it's closer, I would uh, argue, according to this, uh, uh, mm-hmm. according to this genre theory, closer to gothic horror, mm-hmm. closer to uh, the supernatural than the super heroic. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I don't want to worry people. I didn't just throw out data points. Uh, this, you know, Spawn doesn't really fit my argument, so uh, he's out. He's, <laughs> I'm not going to consider him a superhero. Um, but in, in the case of Hellboy, which I have great respect for and would love actually in the wake of my current book to now bring my theories over to, do mm-hmm. other elements come up and therefore other understandings of what selfhood is, I think the final argument becomes, yeah, superhero comics readers may have an understanding of selfhood that might differ from Hellboy comics readers. They're not always the same uh, cohort, right? There is some overlap. There's a Venn diagram overlap, Mm -hmm. but I wouldn't argue that they're exactly the same audience, and therefore they won't have exactly the same expectations. Um. You know what? Let's, this is probably just around time, just the right time to talk maybe a little bit about really the rise of comics. I mean, obviously in pop pop culture subjects in general, as a as a, as a legitimate subject matter for serious academic works such as your own. I mean, I I know for comics in your introduction, you certainly you mentioned you know Jules Pfeiffer's great comic book heroes as a kind of er. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Her look at the medium, and obviously, uh, Will Eisner's works, uh, Scott McCloud. But uh, I, I'd love to hear more as we see academics like Hilary Shute, uh, yourself, yeah. others doing really amazing works in a category that was sort of certainly it's seemingly shunned by uh, academics for for years. 
Well, so was film mm -hmm, uh, sure. for a number of years. And I mean, so was uh, uh, gay culture or mm -hmm, gay absolutely. theory for a number of years. After enough time, either a critical mass of works or enough scholars coming of age, the walls of the ivory tower start to loosen a little bit, start to crumble. But we're at a really exciting time for what I think we're generally calling comic studies. Mm -hmm. Comic studies in the U.S. is finally starting to look around and realize, wow, we have a, a mass of publications here. We have a number of people talking from all different trajectories, uh, whether it's literary theory or art history or psychology uh, or the sciences and neuropsychology, uh, all about comics. Now, this isn't totally uh, original. That is to say, band dessinée in, in mm -hmm. France and francophone cultures has been studied for sure. some mm -hmm. time. I think the Europeans have a, a pretty extensive um, scholarly apparatus for comic studies. Uh, but we have a number of institutions and publications that have been forming here in the U.S. Uh, Sequart, the Sequart mm -hmm, organization, sure. or I think they call it Sequart, actually. I only read it. <laughs> I'll I don't go with your pronunciations. Thanks. Both of them. <laughs> Julian Darris's uh, organization has done a great job of making uh, comics examination and analysis available mm -hmm. to everyone. Uh, Popular Culture Association um, has really supported a lot of comic studies work. We have another of comics studies journals out, mm -hmm. studies in comics, International Journal of Comic Art is out there. And most recently, though we did have, uh, I believe, Peter Coogan, who has published on this a, a number of times, uh, he launched the Institute of Comic Studies a few years back. Just recently, just this month, Charles Hatfield, who's also yeah, written sure. a great mm -hmm. deal, yeah, um, mm -hmm. he is forming the Comic Studies Society. And I think this is really the next, it sounds like Babylon 5, the next best <laughs> hope uh, for uh, this sort of examination. I, I don't think people should be expecting necessarily to get a degree in comic books, uh -huh. that there are going to be departments of comic books springing up all over. But I do think there'll be more um, recognition of it uh, as a program or as a sub-discipline. Uh, within other disciplines. So English departments may have a specialty in it. Psychology departments may have a specialty in comic studies. Certainly creative writing uh, departments, some already have a specialty there, American studies departments. Um, so I think it's actually a very exciting time to just lend my voice to it, mm -hmm. to just uh, endorse it and encourage others who are trying to get a handle on how you go about examining comics to understand all the different approaches that are out there. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, no, it's a really, uh, well, as usual, it's really an amazing time for comics. So, look, we're, we're getting close to running out of time. I would like yeah. you to sort of get in any, uh, any more comments about your, your book that you think may not have, we, we didn't cover. Um, can, can you talk about your, your conclusions? Or I, sure. I, I just want to give you a little more time to talk about the book. Well, uh, there, there are two additional things I'll say about it. First of all, I wrote it to be readable. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, I mean, this is based on my doctoral dissertation work, and there's a reason I didn't publish the doctoral dissertation because <laughs> it's pure academic speak. Sure. sure. Um, this book is actually intended for an intelligent, but just curious audience who either has a 
passing interest in comics or comics fans who started to want to up their game. So that's the pitch I would make for it. The one additional part I would say is um, the jump I make Mm -hmm. from how do we go from stories about the afterlife into religious pluralism? How do you make that jump? And I do suggest something that I think is a little radical, but I think people can start to handle. The idea that for a very long time, certainly in Western culture, American culture, North American culture, we have tended to look at ourselves, define selfhood as singular, mm-hmm. right? The I, I'm a whole person. Sure. I, everything about me comes together and gels just right. Well, a lot of social science these days, a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists and so, and, and so forth are making the argument that we're actually multiplex selves, that we have a different self, kind of, or an altered self in the workplace than we do at home, than we do when we're driving, mm. that all the time we're mixing and matching within ourselves. I really love this model because if you accept mm. that instead of being sick, you're not, you're not uh, schizophrenic, right? Mm. You're not the joker, right? right. <laughs> instead of it being sick or aberrant to be multiple, mm. Mm-hmm. The idea instead is that is actually how we function in society. If you recognize differences in yourself, you won't be so scared off of other people who present differences. If you recognize the other in yourself, you won't be so ah, alarmed by people who are doing things that aren't immediately recognizable to you. So that's how we go from the afterlife that might be depicting mm-hmm. selves that are multiplex, mm-hmm. right, to readers who might accept some uh, level of multiplicity in themselves, not duplicity, multiplicity, Mm -hmm. uh, and therefore makes them more open to accept differences in others. That's sort of the linchpin, uh, and and that's the theoretical backbone of at least the second half of the work that I think might interest people who uh, dig video game scholarship, are Mm -hmm. you your avatar, Mm -hmm. right? That might just be interested in the way that they present themselves on Facebook Mm -hmm. or on Twitter that's slightly different from the way they present themselves as an introvert in real Mm -hmm. life. Uh, I think this can be applied rather widely, and I'm just bringing it to uh, my passion of superhero comics. No, it's very interesting. I, you, I do wonder if the you know if the if the the series of different different sort of selves that you produce moving through your everyday life, mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 you might say that maybe there's a difference between these sort of um, these stances really to handle the, the everyday things that pop up as mm-hmm. opposed to your whole your sense of how you view the world i mean can you really uh, i mean is, are those really the same i mean in the sense that people you know for instance more rigid religious people would say you know no there's one there's one thing here as opposed to you know a series of stances that you may need to sort of talk to your boss or talk to your wife or talk to a buddy or, you know, deal with a stranger on the street who's bothering you if I'm not distorting, you know, your description. No, I'm, I'm not making the suggestion that you're that anyone's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, right, that you can flip into a totally separate self. I think part of the reason I was drawn to this is that we love and sort of accept the whole secret identity sure. convention mm-hmm. of superheroes and 
the the fun debate is is he really bruce wayne or is he really batman um but what i would say here is there is probably a a a point of gravity, right, around mm-hmm. which we circle. But if we thought of ourselves more as solar systems with orbiting planets that are ourselves, sure. rather than, oh, now I'm an evil person, now I'm a good person, now I'm a subservient person, now I'm a radical person. Um, I don't think it turns that abruptly. But even here, even in presenting myself to you, the esteemed Calvin Reed, <laughs> Are you the editor I'm pitching an article to? Are you the guy I like reading stuff on? Mm -hmm. Are you the voice that I hear on the podcast? Are you the guy that I see at conventions? Now, if I take enough of of those, those, you are. (laughs) If I take enough of those data points, I have a composite Calvin Reed, right? I have an overall Calvin Reed, but I can't now just put my finger on that one Calvin Reed. I have to accept that you have all these uh, identities and you have all maybe all these different ways of recognizing yourself as well um, and to so I just think it's a thing we want to negotiate more and be open to in our reading and in our self-interpretation and, and even using your own example your visual example of the solar system of the orbiting bodies I mean even that if they are illuminated at different points yep. they're the same body but their character may change without their actual substance really changing. You're, they're, they're just in a yes. different light, so to speak, uh, Maybe a of different, different config- circumstances. A, a different configuration. Um, yeah. Fans of Planetary, the comic book series mm-hmm. Planetary that I talk a good deal about, um, I, they talk about the snowflake, that the way you can understand all of the multiverse, all of existence, is this big snowflake model that every little part of the snowflake changes and that creates a whole new universe. And I think we are snowflakes <laughs> <Okay>. um, <laughs> in this sense, though, in this yeah, sense okay. that we uh, are in a different orbit, if we use the, the model we suggested mm-hmm. before. Um, but we don't have to be that one thing. This goes back to a great deal of religious theory. Whereas in the West, with much of Judeo-Christian Islamic thought the soul is one thing. There's the body, that's this meat, and there's the soul. A number of other traditions have sort of sub-souls, right? Uh, you'll, in Egyptian uh, ancient traditions, you'll have the, the ka and the po, the, and the ancient Greeks used to have the, um, the soma and the corpus and the karatas and the nafs and the ruh. Other cultures besides English and American culture have names for these different elements of the soul mm-hmm. or of the self. And if we get into psychology, you don't, you know, you know, psychology 101, id, ego, superego uh, makes up a person if you're into Freud so and all that. So it's multiple even there, even in Western science. <laughs> it's multiple even there. The yeah. only place that it's not multiple, and I think conspicuously mm-hmm. so, is in the Western Judeo-Christian Islamic traditions. And that's not saying they're wrong. Uh, that's not yeah. saying that I oppose them in any way. That's saying that we can use another lens of interpretation to perhaps sure. better understand these concepts. And one other question. Uh, I mean, are, are there other uh, scholars looking specifically into superheroes uh, uh, or, or in this area? I mean, do you have you carved out an area here or or or? What is what's the academic landscape for for this particular 
um, uh, segment that you are investigating? Well, yeah, I, I don't know how many. Oh, so look, I welcome. I, I'm not looking to carve out any niche here. I welcome discussion and interaction. I don't know how many people are talking about superhero comics, the alf afterlife, literary theory, selfhood, and religious pluralism. If there are others, please come find me because I'm lonely. <laughs> but um, we do have in the overall comic studies um, cohort that's rising that we talked about earlier, a nice subsection of comics and religion scholars. And we've become sort of loosely affiliated uh, as a group uh, called the Justice League. No, okay, called there you go. <laughs> uh, loosely affiliated. <laughs> the Academics as, League of America. But go on. <laughs> Academics League of America. Um, no, we're calling ourselves sacred and sequential. Uh-huh. Great. Because mm-hmm. we're not working from any particular religious tradition. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not even working under a theological assumption. We're looking from, uh, so we accept the research or thoughts of atheists, agnostics, secularists, irreligionists, and so forth. But Sacred and Sequential is uh, a group that I'm part of that's uh, looking at how religion and comics interact, and they do so uh, a lot. They do so greatly um, from a whole bunch of different trajectories. So that's why a lot of people are part of it. Uh, you can do it from a particular religious lens, a particular historical lens, a particular theological lens. Um, we're having a great time and really starting to cohere within comic studies itself that is that is gelling. Great. So actually, David, this is great. It has been fascinating. Uh, you are clearly a scholar, oh, <laughs> without a I doubt. Uh, and, and, and you have that incredible ability, actually, to, you know, talk to, you know, normal people as well. So... <laughs> <laughs> but look, um, uh, some of my best friends are normal. There you go. There. Hey, David Lewis, the author of American Comics, Literary Theory and Religion, The Superhero Afterlife, published uh, in December from Palgrave Macmillan. Uh, David, thanks so much for being on More to Come. Oh, it's great being here. Thank you, Calvin. 